This podcast is sponsored by the Watch Newsletter. If you're getting into watches or you're sort of watching the space, so to speak, definitely check out the Watch Newsletter. It tells you which watches are the good ones to buy, where to find the best deals, and talks a lot about what makes this industry great, why the watch industry is so hot right now. They'll help you find the best watch, the right watch for you, one that you can enjoy, that looks great, that will also go up in value. I've been reading the Watch Newsletter for a few months now, and I really love their style. It tells you a lot about the watches, but it also tells you the stories behind them. It's chock full of cool links, stories, helpful information, and a whole lot of beautiful pictures of gorgeous watches. So if you're into watches or you're getting into watches, definitely check out the Watch Newsletter. It's www.watchnewsletter.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Alternative Assets Podcast with Stefan von Imhoff, bringing you unique investment ideas worth exploring. If you're new here, this is not another podcast about stocks or venture capital. No, sir. This is about the wide world of investment opportunities that aren't discussed as much. Before we start, remember, you can find a transcription of this episode, along with all past issues of our weekly newsletter, at our website, alternativeassets.club. Now let's dive in. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm here today with uh, Dovey Spiegelman. And Dovey is a watch dealer here in Melbourne, Australia, who has been doing watch dealing for quite a while. He's got a ton of interesting stuff to tell us today about the watch investing market. Being a dealer, he sees a lot of interesting stuff. And we're really excited to have him on the podcast today. So welcome, Dovey. Hi, Stefan. Nice to virtually meet you again. Likewise. So, Davi, uh, you are a watch dealer here in Melbourne. Approximately how long have you been in the, the watch business for? Um, that's a good question. About four years actively and a few years before that, just being crazy over watches and, you know, things that evolved and developed uh, without, without me intending to. So going back as far as I can recall, I was crazy into watches, but it really became something with a business edge to it maybe five years ago and then just slowly evolved. Uh, I'd say really only the last year since I've moved back to Melbourne that I'm really doing it full time and that I've got a shop set up, et cetera. So how did you get into it? Like, have you always been into watches or did you kind of fall into it? Or tell us a little bit about your your journey, how you got to where you are today. It's, it's actually a good one. I don't know how to answer the question other than to say that as far back as I can remember, I appreciated watches. That would be a better word. I mean, watches whether I intended it to or others intended to, played a significant role in my life. My dad was into like, you know, good quality, well-made stuff. He had his bar mitzvah watch, which is a watch that his father gifted him on his 13th birthday, which I have um, upstairs. Uh, It's sentimental to me, to say the least. I received a watch on my bar mitzvah, which is when I turned 13. Um, I always wanted and appreciated. When I got married, my wife, sort of a customary thing, her family gifted me my first luxury watch. It was a Raymond wheel, a Swiss watch. And I loved that watch to pieces, wore it every single day of my life. From there, from there I got it for about 10 years. It broke multiple times, got it repaired um, until it broke that time too many. And I think that's when I really got into watches because I really wanted to research watches before I got another watch. And that's when I went down the rabbit hole and 
haven't gotten out yet. Went down the rabbit hole. That's cool. I personally don't have a ton of experience with fine watches. My grandfather died when I was young and my mom gave me his old Rolex and she was super excited to give me this Rolex watch that he had owned. And so I held on to it for a couple of years and I didn't really think about selling it or anything like that. And then one day I uh, was walking by a watch dealer in California and I stopped in and I told the guy I have a Rolex and uh, he says, yeah, sure, bring it in. So I brought it in. And within about five seconds, he told me, yeah, this is fake. (laughs) And I was like, my grandfather had a fake Rolex and my mom didn't know. And I'm not even sure my grandfather knew. So um, any uh, early watch interest was stifled pretty much at that point. But um, how would you describe the the watch market today? Right. Like what's going on in the world of watches? What's happened historically? And, you know, how has that changed? What's happening right now? There's right now and there's historically and there's, I'd say, something about the last four or five years, maybe even less, maybe even three or four years. Um, Historically, watches were always collectible, especially the top end of town, Patek Philippe, Rolex. Um, You know, the the fine watches were always collectible, were always appreciated and were always, I'd I'd say the word collected, even though they weren't, even though we weren't necessarily use the word collectible. Um, so people who were into it appreciated different complications, different things. So they'd, they'd, they would collect watches, I think, historically. I mean, some of the most famous watches in history were um, sort of fights between millionaires back in the 30s and 40s to get the brands to make them the most complicated watch in the world. You know, you have the Henry Graves super complication, which was which was that type of story. But so watches always held their value and were appreciated. Historically, though, you would buy a watch. Again, this is to get to your clientele. You'd buy a watch at retail of 100%, let's call it $5,000. You knew that it was you're going to lose, um, but you'd sell it at about 50% of that. And it would slowly creep up. But with inflation, retail would also creep up. So if you bought a watch for $5,000 or $3,000, you bought it at um, and 10 years later, you wore it for 10 years and retail was then four or five, you'd get out of it very close to the 3000 you originally paid. Um, so people were happy to buy these watches and hold them and sell them at, you know, at a loss, but they were, you know, they could enjoy them for many years. The last four or five years has seen an explosion in the world of watch collecting. An article that was written, I think, in 2016. I was reading this morning about someone who was going to one of the big auction houses, and he said watches that were going 10 years ago for $20,000 are now a million dollars plus. Wow. So From 20000 to a million dollars in some cases? Absolutely, without a question or doubt. So I work with a guy, Ron, from Collections, Fine Jewelry in Turek Road. Ron's been doing this for just under or just over 40 years. He's been in the same location for 38 years. He sold a Paul Newman Daytona that he recalls. He's probably sold more than one. Paul Newman is just a dial variant of the of the Daytona for $8,500 in the 90s. And he was the talk of the town because there was trending at $8,000 and he got eight and a half. And the cheapest Paul Newman Daytona you can find today is $400,000. So I, I was doing a little bit of research on this earlier. So the Paul Newman Daytonas, these are watches that were primarily popular in the 60s. Is that correct? They were unpopular in the 60s. That's the Oh, they were unpopular in the yeah. 60s. The Paul Newman Daytona, in a nutshell, one of the questions you can ask me is, is what are the main brands? And the two brands you're going to hear repeatedly, Rolex and Patek Philippe. Rolex is a bit like Porsche. 
They make a, a lot of watches, primarily sports watches. They're not high. They're not what we call hot horology. They're, you know, tool watches, high-end tool watches, but they're not, you know, the, the Rolls-Royce of watches, Patek Philippe is a Rolls-Royce. Um, Daytona is their chronograph. Back in the 60s, they were unpopular, and they specially came out with this funky dial, which they called an exotic dial, and it did not go. Um, it would sit in dealers, and they would sell at a discount. It would retail then for about $250. And in the 60s, that was roughly a month's minimum wage. So to give you an idea, today that would be four or $5,000, just a rough estimate. Yeah, yeah so four or $5,000. It was an, a luxury watch, but not something you know insane. And they would sit there, they could not move them. In the 90s, these Italian dealers noticed that these watches were sitting around and no one could move them. And they found a picture of Paul Newman, the actor, and he was also a racing car driver later in life. And they found all these pictures of him wearing this Daytona with his funky dial. Huh. So they nicknamed it the Paul Newman Daytona. Oh, you're kidding. He had nothing to do with he the had actual... nothing to do with it. If you <laughs> know about it, he'd probably turn over in his grave. Oh my God. So Paul Newman's Daytona became a, like a calling card, like a, you know, a rallying cry. Paul Newman Daytona, and it dragged up the entire industry of vintage watch collecting. And, and just recently, there was a, I believe it was one of these watches that sold for, that was the new record, right? It was about uh, 17 million or so. Yeah. So they finally discovered, I mean, they probably knew about this for a long time, but they don't tell us. They discovered Paul Newman's Paul Newman Daytona. Um, in about 2017, and they auctioned it off. Phillips or L Bucks auctioned that off. It was a big hype for a long time. And the question was, is it going to hit $10 million? That was the million-dollar question. Wow. Everyone says it's for sure going to go 2-3 because other watches have been there before. Is it going to go 4 or 5? Probably. Is it going to hit 10? And, and that was the big discussion for months. And you should watch a clip of the auction because as they open the auction, someone says $10 million. And the room went quiet for about four seconds and everyone burst out laughing and eventually sold for $17.7 million. <laughs> wow, wow. To answer the other question, I have an interesting exercise, a thought exercise. That watch sold in 2017 for that at that time was an insane amount of money. If that watch sold today, would it beat its own record? I think it would beat the record. The way prices have exploded since 2017, I think it, that's a small figure. Okay, so let's take a step back here. So first question I have is, what happened around 2017 to cause this explosion? Is there anything we can pinpoint as being a cause? Was there anything in the in the media or is there anything in pop culture that led to this resurgence in watches? Yes, I think one of the biggest factors would be Hodinkee. Hodinkee is a website started by a guy who was just blogging about 10 years ago about watches. Exactly the same thing. He got a watch from his grandfather, which wasn't fake. <laughs> I mean, just started writing about watches. It became super mainstream. And I think that's really what happened. Watches became mainstream. Because of this one popular site, this one blog. I can't attribute it entirely to them, but that had a big effect for me, wow. myself. And it just became more and more mainstream across everywhere. So before that, watches were, yeah, you wanted a watch, you didn't want a watch. Not everyone knew about it. And suddenly they became everyone and everywhere wanted it. So pre that time, you could walk into Rolex and there was all the watches in the display and you could choose which one, which color you wanted, which dial variant you wanted. And if they didn't have it, they'll order it for you. And you'd wait and get it the next month. 
Um, the only exception was a Daytona. Daytona historically has been difficult to get, but you put down a deposit, you waited a few months, you'd get one. Suddenly it became mainstream. Everyone wanted the exact same watches. And um, it just became a story of supply and demand. All the Swiss brands played hard to get. So they just manufactured less watch or they i think they just manufactured even more but they didn't crazy increase the the supply as much as the demand was increasing they they decreased the rate of increase basically uh, probably it's impossible they won't release their numbers but probably oh interesting rolex is a is not owned by anyone it's a corporation so they don't have to and they don't release a thing they're a black hole they're a private company hey yeah interesting yeah okay this is this is really fascinating stuff now, in terms of the increase in the demand, right? So we know supply has something to do with it, but most most likely what's been happening is just a sheer increase in demand. Mainstream increase in demand. Mainstream increase in it demand. It used to be quite niche, and today you walk around the street, everyone's wearing a Rolex. Okay. So how much overlap is there today in the, in the on the buying side of the market between you know investors and collectors, right? So, I mean, watch collecting has been going on for many, many years, right? Correct. But watch investing wasn't really a big thing up until recently. How many of these collectors are turning into investors? How, how many of these in investors are also collectors? Can you talk a little bit about the overlap between these two groups? That's a very, very good question, especially because you're, you're asking it honestly, but you're asking it as an outsider. Because yeah. the inside would laugh and say, if we're honest with ourselves, every single collector is an investor. Mm. Every single person who buys a watch knows it's gonna, it's probably going to make him money especially when they're buying well. And occasionally they like something, so they'll buy something that they know might not make them and they may lose. But almost every watch collector today knows and takes into significant account resale value. So people can harp on about that watch is nicer, that watch is a better dial, better quality, etc. Ultimately, they're going for what they can make money on. Occasionally they won't, but virtually every buyer is a... <laughs> quote unquote investor. Interesting. And so when you talk about the value and how these timepieces hold value, can we talk a little bit about what the general relationship is between value and age? Is this like wine where the older the timepiece, the more valuable, generally speaking, it becomes? Because I would think the opposite. You look at the watches of today, I mean, you can just tell they're built much better than the watches of the old days, right? They look better. They probably hold up better. They're probably built with better materials. This is all my guess. I, I don't really know. But you'd think that the newer watches by that logic would be you know, a lot more valuable than the old ones. Is that true or not? It, 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 do, do watches typically appreciate with age or do they depreciate with age? So that's categorically wrong and incorrect. Watches today are made with more um, I, I would say, generally speaking, improved materials and not so much craftsmanship, but, you know, the metals are better, the alloys are better, the, you know, materials, generally speaking, are more advanced. But in general, there are two markets, there's the vintage market and the modern market. Vintage market, the older, generally speaking, the more expensive. Okay. So a vintage Porsche is more expensive than a non-vintage Porsche. So the older Porsche, generally speaking, will be more more expensive than a, than a, than a younger Porsche. Mm -hmm. But but there are exceptions because if something's particularly desirable or rare, it may be more expensive than older. So for with Rolex and Patek, for example, I'd say the fifty the sixties and seventies would be the most expensive era, most valuable. 
Luxury watches developed in the 60s and 70s. That's the beginning of the vintage era. And the, and the reason for that is simple, size. Wrist watches, pocket watches have existed for a long time. Wrist watches were invented in the 20s, essentially. They became mainstream then. You know, pilots in the wars started needing to, they would, you know, add straps to their pocket watches so they could look at it at a glance. So wrist watches in the 20s and 30s were tiny by today's standards, you know? Yeah. They look like ladies' watches are even small, very flimsy. Very slim. Yeah. Even the 40s and 50s. Through the 60s, they sort of got up to 36, 37 millimeters, which is what we, a little bit small for today's, um, you know, standards, but still highly, you know, wearable. Um, and the 60s and 70s, Patek and Rolex are super desirable, generally speaking. You know, again, depending on the model. As you get later than that, it usually will get cheaper. So, 80s can be quite expensive depending on the model, but 90s and the early 2000s will be sort of your cheapest range often. Yeah. That's really considered modern. It's not It's not vintage, but then you're going to pay premium the newer you get. So the, the, the parallels here are to cars, right? The, it's like, with, like you said, the 60s and 70s, that's really the 60s. That's when the classic car era. You're going to pay a lot more for a brand new BMW. You're going to pay less, less, less as it gets older. And then once it turns vintage, you're going to start paying more and more and more again. And it is funny how that once it turns vintage, there's no fine line, but it's generally agreed upon. Like with cars, it's around the 60s or so. Yeah, interesting. The difference is that cars have wear and tear where watches don't really. And watches presumably get used a lot more than cars. Well, they're, they're working 24-7. Right. Whether we like them or not, they're moving. And if they're not moving, then they can, you know, can, the, the oils can congeal. But service is not a big deal, generally speaking. Um, unless you have a super complicated watch. So watches are, are there and they last pretty much forever. And, and, and the condition of the movement is not essential. This is weird to the value of the watch. If you have a watch that is in perfect vintage condition on the outside, no one's going to really look at the movement. Okay, so you've got your vintage market, which is very similar to cars. And then you've got the new watches. So w- what would you define as like the, the new age valuable watches? When did those really start coming into their own? Was that in the 2000s or 90s? No, really, really way less than that. Oh, wow. Literally the last few years. I mean, I'm trying to timeline this in my head because, you know, you'd have to really sit down and look back and try and get historical idea of when prices were. But my brother got married in late 2017, early 2018. He got a sub at discount because we had an uncle who had a connection, a Submariner, a Rolex Submariner at discount. That was pretty normal. Literally, I wanted one and I was thinking about it and I couldn't afford it. And a couple of months later, forget about discount. They were, there was no discount. And a few months later, they were going above retail. And today, they're going at double retail. So today, they retail at about 10000 and they sell in a second on the aftermarket for about 20. And this this is a watch that's approximately how old? That's in current production. These are the brand new ones you're talking about. Current production, brand new oh, watch. Wow. So you want a Rolex Submariner, which is your quintessential, you know, James Bond one, Sean Connery wore a Rolex Submariner for most of the movies. Um, and that that's a big part of the of that story because they have a great story. Sean Connery showed up to, to filming the first day and, you know, they set him up with the shoes and a suit and all that stuff. And they gave him a watch. And he's like, no. I like my watch better. And the prop master had a look and said, okay, I don't mind. And it was a Rolex Submariner and he wore it for the next bunch of movies. That's really cool. But so there's a whole class of watches that are appreciating, if not doubling in value right after, I mean, as soon as they get released. Correct. So the current production Rolex Submariner has been in, in production for 60 odd years. It just gets upgraded and changed slightly every few years, as you would imagine the Porsche 911 does. 
Um, so it looks almost identical. Get a, a really early 1960s Submariner right next to a Submariner out of a Rolex factory today. They look identical other than size difference and materials and, and slight nuances. And, um, well, the older you get, they're going to be really collectible and really expensive. But the current production one retails at somewhere around eleven or 12000 Australian dollars. I don't even know retail because it's it's irrelevant. I can't get it at retail. But it sells at about twenty to twenty two thousand Australian dollars. And these are all these are all constrained, right? You said that the the new supply of these new luxury watches are, are constrained. So Exactly. So you walk into Rolex today, go to the city, go to Rolex, and they'll smile politely and there'll be no watches in the cases. You're kidding. There's just nothing available new. Nothing available except for very small, twenty eight, thirty millimeter ladies full of diamonds, very expensive. Wow. And I'll tell you, if you buy a bunch of those, we'll think about giving you something more. Let's say you're in a position to just, you know, drop, you know, 25, 30 grand. How do you there even get one? Millions of people walking through Rolex stores for the last few years <laughs> saying, I'll give you my credit card here. Give me Daytona. So how do you do it? I mean, I know how you do it. You're a dealer, but how does how does some, how does some a normal person do it? How does a normal pe- person get what? Get a Rolex? Yeah, they absolutely. They can't. That's why they come to me. <laughs> that is why I exist. Yeah. You, you, are you seeing new supply come into the store? They come into the store all the time, but there's a wait list of, of years. So they've all they've all been spoken for years in advance. Wow! If Rolex would uh, next month as a Watches and Wonders Miami, I think Rolex is supposed to come out in the next month or two with the New Year's model. If a new model comes out, you won't be able to get one. Rolex will be officially a waiting list of seven years and closed. It's irrelevant because they can have a thousand people on the list, but they can't supply those watches. Wow! So this is extremely supply constrained. The demand is super high. I'm, I'm guessing the pandemic, that probably hurt the supply even more. Did the factories stop production at all during the pandemic? They did. And everyone thought the pandemic would slow prices. But the pandemic has seen prices increase incredibly in some. So yeah, Rolex, so the whole Switzerland was shut down for a few months. Supply dwindled even more. And everyone just had even more spare money to spend on watches. So let's talk brands for a moment. So Rolex is the one everyone knows. Like what, what brands stand out in terms of your your blue chips, right? In terms of investing, like what's the Apple or Microsoft or Google of watches? Yeah. So as I as I said, and this and this it's 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 very clear. Rolex and Patek Philippe are the number one. Um, AP, which is Audemars Piguet, they are you know there are other brands, and there'll be people who who might listen to this and say, hey, you're skipping so many other brands. There, um, Rolex and Patek. Rolex is also the most accessible mm-hmm. in terms of price point. Um, I know it might sound you know, blase to say that a twenty thousand dollar watch is accessible, but Patek with their with their desirable pieces started about a hundred eighty to a hundred thousand. So Rolex is a lot more accessible in that sense, and you can get a, a neo vintage Submariner in the tens or low teens. So Rolex is the is the most accessible luxury, and also one of the safest bets you can make from an investment standpoint. Is that fair? Yes, so, correct, absolutely. Um, Rolex is the king, absolutely king. Patek Philippe as well. I'm not going to deny that in any, I mean, in a sense, even bigger, but it's just a different price point. Um, There are several other brands that are very close like that, but um, you have AP, you have uh, um, Cartier's, vintage Cartier's have been very hot recently. FP Jean has been very hot. Then you have super high-end brand, just slipped off my tongue, so give me a second to remember this one. Richard Mill. Uh, 
Yeah. Have you heard of Richard Mill? I, only in my research. Uh, yeah. Research. So Richard Mill is a, is a massive disruptor. He worked for, I think he worked for AP. He was a watchmaker. And a few years ago, he came out with watches and said, and they're very high tech watches like space age. He uses like formula one car materials and stuff like that. And he said, why should I sell my watches for 50 to a hundred thousand? I'm going to sell them for 500 to 700,000 and supremely limited production. Like he'll only make 10 watches of one version, but sell them at a million dollars each. That's, that's crazy. And uh, but some of those sell afterwards on the secondhand market for 2 million. This is amazing. But let's talk about the markets for a moment, right? So if you are in the market, no pun intended, for purchasing a watch as an alternative asset, we talked about you want to look for something maybe Rolex to start. It's safe. It's tried and true. It's the most accessible. But you said they're also extremely difficult to get from the stores, right? There's waiting lists. You have waiting lists. It's going to be really tough. So what are the big marketplaces for buying and selling watches? You know, where should someone start? I think that people who, especially newcomers to the watch game, have to ignore recommended retail price, especially with Rolex, stainless steel sports models, Um, because you can't just get one. And if you do, especially if you're looking at it as an alternative asset, you can't look at it, oh, I bought a $10,000 watch and it went to 25 a year later because it was already worth 20 when you bought it. So if you buy a watch for 10 at retail because you know the manager of a, of a Rolex store or your uncle has a pet that goes to the same shampoo clinic, as the, it doesn't matter. If you have a connection to Rolex, go get the watch because it's not an alternative asset. It's, it's pure cash. For example, there's a current Daytona, super hot, literally as we speak. The prices a few weeks ago were 70 to 80, maybe 85,000 Australian dollars, and today they're 105 literally in three weeks. Wow. And that one retails at $52,250 or $51,250. If you get one at retail today, I will buy it off you at $90,000. Eyes closed. Wow. You're what, you're what, and why, why are you so confident? Why are you willing because to? Because I have buyers lined up at one hundred and five. You, you, so you already have a market. You're, it's ready. I to have a market, but you will have a market too. And you won't sell it to me at 90 because you'll be like, everyone's selling at 105. Why would I sell it to you at 90? And you'd be correct in saying that. And I'll tell you, okay, go and sell for 105. I'm a, I'm a dealer. I buy at, re- at wholesale and I sell at retail. But you wouldn't want to sell it to me at 90. You'd want more. Right. So let, let's call it 100. If you buy that watch today, when you walk into the store retail, it, you're paying 50. You instantly made $50,000. And you'll be like, oh, Rolex just gives it out. Rolex will either give it to special clients have been, who have been buying for a long time or people who buy a lot of watches they're not just giving that to any, you know, any person that walks through the door. And even then, supposedly, they only, only get three of these watches a year. Wow. There's a big part of this industry that's very, you know, old school in terms of its relationship driven. It's it's about it's not about who has the most money or who can, um, you know, flash the most dollar bills in someone's face. It's more about um, who you know, who you're connected to, who you um, deal with, who you choose to deal with. And how how long you've been trying? I'll disagree with that. I think if you're looking at watches as an alternative asset, I would ignore read. That's why that's getting back to what I was saying. I would ignore recommended retail price and say, what is current market price? So let's pretend current market price for that watch is $100,000. You want to buy it at $100,000. If you get it at $98,000, you did okay. If you paid $102,000, you paid it a little bit more. Let's just pretend that $100,000 is market price. And now hold it and see where it goes. 
Now, to answer the question of where you can get it, you know, do you want the long answer or the short answer? Yeah, actually, the long one. I'm really curious about this. How do you get, how do you buy luxury watches? Ultimately, it boils down to trust. You need to buy it at a, from a person that you trust. I will say, and, and I'll go happily go on the record saying I'm, I'm a dealer. And that's what I, that's the service that I provide to my clients is that they come to me because they trust me. They, I have a shop, they can come in, they can usually see the watch before they transfer money to me without any worry that I'm going to take their money and disappear. And they get a watch without any worry that the watch is fake. That's your two main issues when you're buying watches. You're going to transfer money over online to someone and the watch may never appear. And even if it does appear, is it real? And that fraud part is, is interesting because you wouldn't know what to look for unless you, you know, had the expertise in that area. Let's talk about the fraud in the watch market. Is it common to replace, you know, parts? Um, you know, how, how prevalent is fraud? Insanely prevalent. Oh, really? And, and that will be split into two parts, into vintage and modern. Modern, you'd only have re- outright fakes. No one's really, you do have issues where you're going to buy a watch and it's what we call a Franken watch where someone's taken a bezel or a piece from here to there. Generally speaking, the modern watches are either real and then it's a condition issue. Like you got a watch and it was described as perfect condition, but it's got a scratch on the crystal and the guys switched it to a non-original crystal. You know, things like that. Got it. Generally speaking, the modern watches are either real or fake. And a lot of them are fake. Like your story that you walked in and the guy took five seconds and said it's fake. On a daily basis, people walk into our store and say, can you verify this for me? I bought it on eBay and the guy was desperate for money. It's it's sad. Oh. Um, I had some good friends. Um, I've been burnt myself. Oh, wow. Um, even from dealers that I trust. Um, I've received fake goods. So fake watches are out there and some of them are insanely good the fake watch that i received i took a video of the inside of the movement and i've showed it to several rolex store owners around the world none of them unless they happen to know what they needed to look for that's of the inside of the inside so they faked the sweeping motion that rolex is famous for they faked everything they i'll send you pictures they faked the, the actual the watch. Once I knew it was fake, once a penny dropped, we suddenly noticed, you know, 30 or 40 tiny things that I would notice. Um, the issue was I got it from a dealer. I didn't even look too closely. Wow. There are a lot of fake watches out there. A lot of people wear fake because they enjoy it. Um, so fake watches is a massive issue that you're going to have to deal with if you're buying. Um, and trustworthy sources because the, the cheapest place to buy watches is online. The best place to buy watches is from a trusted dealer where you can walk into the physical store, see the watch, because most people are not buying watches purely as an investment. They're buying it because they like yeah, it. Yeah, the emotional attachment, they like it. You know, I, I'm not allowed to tell people, oh, it's a great investment, buy a watch. You know, because my job is to, I'm a, I'm a watch dealer, I'm not a. But you would say that. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but generally speaking, a watch you you do believe is a solid investment that holds its value all else being equal looking at historical you know i can't speak for the future but absolutely looking at the history absolutely um more moreover i do it on a daily basis because sometimes i buy a watch and and the you know what we always joke is if you pay too much for a watch it's no big deal just wait a bit well the question is how long is a bit though is it 10 years is it 20 years is it is it just a year usually a few months yeah there you go (laughs) but i mean what's been happening in, in the market the past few years i mean let's not no one really truly knows, but let's not kid ourselves. It's probably going to taper off. Is there a bubble? Right. 
We've been saying that about everything for four years, stock market, real estate. Uh, correct. So the, the problem is that we've been saying that for four years and then records keep getting broken. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example that happened just on Thursday. I sold a platinum Daytona in December, late December, just before Christmas. I sold a platinum Daytona for around about $110,000. Brand new platinum Daytona. The platinum meaning made of precious metal. And um, I had another client who knew I had it, who wanted it, who just wasn't ready to, you know, pull the trigger. And he said, you know, the next one that you have. And I said, okay, yeah, it's fair enough. And I sold someone else. It's a, it's a colleague of mine. And then we were chatting Thursday night, this past Thursday night. And I said, oh, let's see where they're holding. They're at 140 to 150. I will not be able to get in one for less than 145. Wow. We are in March wow. for reference. And that was in December. So, yeah. So basically, and, and 110 then was like full money. So, and 150. It's so about 110 to 150. I'd say that's where the market's moved. I mean, it's, it's less about investing as it is about speculation the past few years. There's a lot of speculation in the market. A lot of dealers and a lot of flippers will buy a watch and hoping to flip it. And then sometimes they get burned because especially if they don't have the ability to hold the watch you know, to, to, to absorb the, the capital, you know. Let's talk about deals a little bit, right? So you're a dealer, you know what to look for, you know what makes a good watch, you know a good deal probably from a mile away. You know, vintage car collectors, they know what a good deal looks like. They know how much work it'll take to fix up the body of that 68 Mustang, or they know that that particular Ford is incredibly problematic with X, Y, and Z, and no matter what the price is, stay away from it, that sort of stuff. Yeah. How can the average, I shouldn't say average, but how can you know a beginner who's looking to get into watch buying, how can we help them you know, look for deals? Are there deals out there? Is there anything to look for? Where are the imperfections in the market? First of all, it's a secret of the trade right. in a sense that I make my money when I buy, not when I sell. Yeah. So if there's a good deal out there, I grab it with two hands. And most often when it's, when there's a good deal, it's either too good to be true or it goes in seconds. Yeah. Like literally sometimes minutes or hours. I was in Israel. There was a, a story going around that someone needed money. There was a super hot, there was a Nautilus stainless steel Patek Nautilus with a blue dial, more, probably the most desirable watch, which is about 130 grand today. And I think at the time it was about 80 and the guy needed money that day and it sold in i don't know half an hour 20 minutes you know because the guy said i need money i'm willing to take a loss this is what i need 10 minutes later someone grabbed it they, they people just jumped on it they knew that yeah. so, so when there's a good deal when there's a good deal um it goes so to, to answer like you said someone who's sort of an outsider or new to the watch market just read and youtube there's there's thousands of blogs and and websites and just learn what you learn what you appreciate because I'll still back it up and say, buy what you like and what you enjoy, because if it makes money, it's an extra. You know, I'm, I'm still not that dry and say, buy this watch, put it in the safe. If you do come to me and say, which watch, uh, forget about the watch, I don't care about it, give me a watch to put in the safe and come back in five years and what's it going to be worth? You know, I'll have to think about it. But to really answer the question, I think the best option that anyone who really wants to invest his watches is become friendly with a dealer, whether it's myself, and I'd be more than happy to, but any dealer would be happy to, because there always comes a day where I can't buy that watch because I already have three of them, or because it's it's just, 
not good enough. The price is not good enough for me to buy and hold, but it's really good for you if you want to, you know, make money or or buy it. And I'll always be happy to share those deals. And I and and they happen on a on a, you know on a regular basis. From a dealer standpoint, do you feel comfortable talking a little bit about you know how long you're willing to hold on to inventory for? Becoming because I mean this would be a presumably a pretty capital intensive business from an inventory standpoint. Now they don't depreciate like we've talked about for the most part, but correct. You know, are you looking for quick turnarounds? Are you? Is it just a matter of attaching a watch to your waiting list, or um, are you okay sitting on some for years? When you say waiting list, I never have waiting lists in that sense. I'm not Rolex, so I either have a watch in stock or I don't have it in stock, and I'm never getting them from Rolex. I'll never get a watch at ten thousand dollars from Rolex and sell it at twenty because I can't. What usually happens is guys go and buy ten other watches from Rolex, sell it to me at a loss. And then when they get the desirable, they sell it at a profit to me. And then I sell them all at a profit. Does that make sense? It, yeah. But I guess what I'm saying is, presumably, you don't want to hold on to inventory at all, right? So if someone drops off a great watch, you're happy to pay a fair price for it. You basically have a, a Rolodex ready to go where you're calling your top clients and you're saying, hey, I got this awesome one. And you're calling your top collectors and investors and saying, like, you know, this, this fantastic watch came in. Here's the price. Yes and no. I have a shop front. So I have watches that sit in the window and I need stock to sit in the window because I want people to see it and come in and talk about it. And then maybe they say, oh, you have all of those, but you have that. And I'll say, no, but I can get it for you. So I do hold stock and I expect to hold stock and I get surprised that something that I thought would have sold quickly doesn't sell quickly and it takes months. Mm -hmm. uh, And something that I would have thought would take a long time sells very quickly. So I'm always surprised, but that's something I have zero control over. So I always have to price it according to my experience. When I buy, I always have to buy according to my experience of how long do I think it'll take me to, to sell? How much do I think I can sell it for? What's my appetite for this watch and the risk, et cetera? And then I buy. So Delvi, I think one question people might have is with all of the different online marketplaces for buying and selling watches, what advantage does a buyer have going directly to a dealer? I think a dealer can really be your best friend. I think a dealer will, as much as a dealer is there to make a profit, and that's his business, a dealer will look after you. A dealer is there to make sure that the process is smooth and enjoyable. Um, Virtually all of my clients become repeat clients. Um, and, And just because I love watches, they usually love watches, and it becomes a passion and I'm there to make sure they get the best experience, the best value. Um, and you never know what type of price I can get you, sometimes significantly better than you know online. And sometimes it's worth paying the slight premium just for the peace of mind. And do you work with the online markets as well? Yeah, I'm online every single day, all day. S- sourcing or selling or both? Um, researching. Researching. Yeah, the biggest online tool you have is a, a, a app on a website called chrono 24 which anyone who's remotely familiar with watches is 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 aware of it's essentially an ebay for watches and mm-hmm. um, you can be a private seller or a dealer buying and selling on it so you as an individual can log on say i want a rolex and you can put in the time the day the, the date the era the type of watch you want and there'll be you know anywhere up to 3,000 of that watch available from all around the world. And Chrono24 gives you an escrow 
uh, option as well where you pay them they hold the money until you get it you get the watch you can bring it into a shop get it checked out two weeks later they release the phone so one of the big themes um, coming up in the world of alternative assets right now um, is around fractional investing, right? So we're seeing some really fascinating marketplaces sprout up, allowing fractional investing in sports cards, sports memorabilia, all sorts of cultural assets. We haven't seen a ton with watches, although it's definitely starting. Yeah. But what are some of the things people should be looking at in terms of fractional ownership or fund ownership of watches? I mean, I've heard of the the watch fund, which you know offers people a chance to invest in rare and limited edition watches. Um, I think there's a $250,000 buy-in for that. I'm not sure how much say each shareholder has in- over what gets purchased, but what can you tell us about the fractional space? No, I actually read an article over the weekend in the New York Times about it. It makes sense to me, especially in all other asset classes, especially cultural things. Like if I'm a Michael Jordan yep. fan, I'd love to know that I own a piece of his sneaker regardless of whether I can hold a sneaker. Although if I'm a real fan, I'd love to have the sneaker up on my mantelpiece, right. but I can't afford a half million dollars of sneaker. With watches, that would really be the issue. Again, most people are not just investing in watches dryly. They have an emotional attachment. They want to have the watch. Yeah. So it'll have to be very Wall Street, very dry, very much a sense of uh, watches keep going up in value. You know, I want in. Here's take my sum of money, whatever that sum is, put it into the fund and just buy and sell, buy watches and hold them. But who makes that decision where to buy and how much to buy for? Um, are you are you starting to look for wholesale prices? Are you happy to pay retail? When I say retail, like market retail, um, you know, so what the market's paying today for it, not the recommended retail price of the manufacturer. So you'd have to, again, it, it makes sense to me if there's a trust, if there's a, a fund that has, you know, a good record and has good reviews. Well, they're definitely sprouting up, but I, I think you, you nailed something interesting. And that's, you know, the the emotional attachment that's attached to your watch. There's something missing, I think, if you're buying a fractional piece of a watch as opposed to a fractional piece of a jersey. I'm not sure you that you get that same kind of emotional connection to the fractional piece of a watch. You'd rather just have the watch, right? Correct. And you'd be better off buying a watch that you can afford. Let me ask you, you're, you're, people investing, at what sort of price point would you say they're starting? For watches or for alternative assets? No, for your listeners. Well, what price point are they, are they starting? Are we talking? varies like crazy i mean you're looking at this rare you know rookie cards that you can get for 25 bucks a share with a in fact the marketplaces have started to max out what you can invest in because they're trying to make sure everyone gets a slice if they want it so yeah i mean you it starts real low at 25 dollars, you know get what you, whatever you can or like small money but once you get to slightly bigger money, if, you, if you're investing $10,000, I think you're so much better off getting a good deal on a good vintage or neo vintage Rolex Submariner, for example, which you can get for, you were able to get for 10 or even less a couple of months ago. Now it's more like low teens. But let's just pretend you get a Rolex Submariner at $10,000. You can enjoy it. You can look at it and, and wear it. And, and you can wear the hell out of it for the next 20 years, actually. And it'll just keep going value. It's not just the emotional attachment, like you said. It's the it's, it has so much utility. I think people look for fractional investments because they're looking to spread the risk. But the savvy investors, the ones that we you know really speak to, um, Alternative Assets Club, is you know we're trying to let them know that there's big opportunities if you actually selectively invest in uh, sports cards, sports memorabilia, etc. So 
it's funny because the, the the buyer side of the market, the, they the buyers tend to want to spread the risk, but we are starting to understand the market a lot better, and we see where the good investments can be made. And so we actually kind of encourage the opposite on some level. So yeah, it's interesting. I think with watches, though, yeah, you're so you're saying if you have if you, if you want to dedicate, let's say, ten thousand dollars to watches as an alternative asset class, I would recommend buying one watch over unless unless there was like if someone came to me and said and i invest essentially all my money in watches because i i buy them for, as inventory and as for stock but someone said you know what there's a there's a poor newman daytona it's going to go at auction it's an incredibly rare you know variant it's probably going to hit a million dollars do you want to invest ten thousand in it it wouldn't it wouldn't really speak to me even though i may make you know, on paper, good money over the next few years with it, because the whole benefit of, of owning that piece is owning it and having it, whether you're going to wear a million dollar watch around and about, about round and about, probably <laughs> people do. Um, you know, I've worn watches with hundreds of thousands of value, you know, you'll wear it carefully. But for me, I'd rather buy a good watch, wear it or just put it away and enjoy it and see where it goes in terms of value. It's such a cool and interesting asset class. Um, I think that it's uh, it's really awesome that it's becoming more mainstream. I definitely, like many people, probably worry about the speculation aspect getting too high and driving up the valuations. But like you said, in the long run, you know, it's 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 a pretty solid investment. In that sense, that fear, I think, you'll you'll get slower growth, um, but a lot more assured. I think in vintage, right? Yeah. So so you're not you're not going to flip a vintage watch for. Uh, you know, double the price you paid a, a year after you buy it, but it'll hold its value over time. Correct. It'll be unusual for it to happen because some of the big jumps that the modern watches happen is when the manufacturer discontinues it. So if Rolex has been making a watch and they suddenly discontinue it, then the price can jump significantly. And so that's, yeah. So if, if there's a production run that's ending, you want to be buying those ones up. Correct. That that's the rumor about that green Daytona that I was telling you. Oh, about. interesting. That, but again, it's that it's that rumor this time of year because this is when Rolex, you know, releases their new things, and every year it's the same. It's a, it's the same story. I've been watching it for five years. I'm bored. <laughs> um, but we all fall for it because suddenly everyone wants it, and suddenly everyone wants it, and we start overpaying, and then sometimes you're hold, left holding the you know holding the bag. But but those hypes will happen more with the modern watches, and you'll suddenly get a hype for some reason or. You know, some celebrity puts it on, wears it, and enjoys it, um, and hype. But the vintage watches—they've been going up steadily over the years, especially the neo vintage. I think that's the best place to go. The older vintage are, are already expensive. The neo vintage, so the '80s or the early '90s, are not yet vintage, but they will become over the next five, ten years, even less than that. I think. Would you say that the vintage stuff has less room for hype? Like the, that, the the hype cycle has left. No, I think quite the opposite. I think vintage is where insane prices are reached at auction. So, so vintage in a way like I have a vintage Daytona for a six two six three from nineteen seventy four, which is one hundred sixty thousand. Um, that watch ten years ago was twenty thousand. With the vintage watches, I mean, who's driving the hype though? Like, like you, you can see how hype can be driven for new. It's, rare, it's rarity and the fact that they're not making any more. But there's still so many of them. So I guess my question is like, how does one or two types of watches just suddenly blow up, right? Like what's the catalyst for that? 
they don't usually that doesn't usually happen with vintage watches although it happened really with cartier cartier vintage was just like you know a niche sort of area where people appreciated it you know i'm talking about cartier from the 50s and 60s and 70s especially unusual design case, um, cases and stuff like that and recently there's been a bit of an explosion in interest around it you know and suddenly people are appreciating and saying wow so that can happen with vintage as well. I'm not saying it can't, but it happens less than with a modern. Happens less often. Got it. That's 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 the point I was trying to make. Okay. A, a modern watch is an easier buy because there's less things that can go wrong in terms of making sure that the watch is correct. It's either real or it isn't. It, it's not. It's not. That's not the full picture, but it's it's most of the picture. A modern watch is either real or, or, or it's not real, whereas vintage is so many details that you need to be careful about. You know, every tiny piece of the of the dial, of the case, of the bezel, of the bracelet can make a massive difference in value. Um, so modern watches are easier. Um, you can wear them a lot, a lot safer. I mean, pretty much every vintage, every modern watch you can wear in any in any situation. Go scuba diving with a two hundred thousand dollar, you know, platinum Daytona, no problem. Fascinating times. Dovey, this has been an awesome chat. I've learned a ton. Uh, there's still a ton to learn. If people want to learn more from you, how can they uh, reach out to you? I have a website, www.dovey.com.au, D-O-V-I. Instagram, dovey, at dovey.co. I'm more than happy for people to badger me and say, what's a good deal? When you get a good deal, even though when I get a good deal, I take for myself. As I mentioned, occasionally something happens and I get offered something which I'm not interested in. I'm always happy to pass it along. Um, at a very small profit. I mean, I've done these watches sometimes $200 profit and just said, take it, enjoy it. So um, I'm talking about $10,000, $20,000 watches. Fantastic. Well, I know for myself, I've learned a ton and I've got to get uh, something on my my wrist. My wrist has been naked for far too long. So let's definitely uh, grab another coffee soon and and, uh, and, and take care of that. I would love that. Let's just make sure it's not a fake Rolex. That's right. <laughs> Dovey, thank you once Cheers. again, man. All right, take care. tuning in we sure hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did please be sure to subscribe and give us a nice review for this podcast it means a lot and remember you can find a transcription of this episode along with all past issues of our weekly newsletter at our website alternativeassets.club see you next time